Well, anniversaries are always significant. Uh, Whether you're remembering the anniversary of your marriage, and and men, this is a reminder, think about when your anniversary is. If it's around the corner, make sure you make plans. Um, Whether it's the anniversary, perhaps, of your sobriety, uh, whether it's the anniversary of our country's independence, or sometimes the anniversary of, uh, of the loss of, of a loved one. Uh, anniversaries stir things up, don't they? They have a way of, um, of making us reflect uh, on, uh, on the significant events that took place and uh, what has happened in the time since that time has passed and ponder what might take place in the future. Now, we're approaching uh, 10 years of going to West Africa. That explains the video that we had during uh, our time of uh, offering and uh, the fact that we are having a celebration at the end of the month. Now, some of you were here when we decided, it was probably over 10 years ago, to go to West Africa. How many of you were part of the church when we decided to go to West Africa. Okay, very good. So we still have a good amount of you here. Great, it's fantastic. I was not among you then. Uh, I think I was still in graduate school somewhere. Um, and, uh, and so you were here, those of you who just raised your hands, you were here when we decided as a church that, uh, that we would go to an unreached people group in West Africa for the purpose of seeing a a church established that would be reproducing itself. Now, we have not yet attained that goal, uh, which is why we continue going, and we will continue going, Lord willing, until we see that goal attained. Now, some of us, we we have come... Uh, after that vision was uh, was determined, and uh, and so that you know I would fall in that category. I've been here almost eight years. Is it possible? Almost eight years. And, and uh, you know we've you know those of us who've come along the way uh, after we had already established this vision. Some of us have had the opportunity to go to West Africa. I've gone twice, and it's been a great great blessing. Now some of you have come more recently. And uh, perhaps you're still learning about the, the ministry that we have in West Africa. Uh, and uh, some of you may not even know anything about it. And, and so uh, we decided that as we were approaching this anniversary that we would take this month, in fact, the next five weeks on Sunday mornings, and, and focus in on, on missions and, and, and why it is that we do what we do. Um, and uh, we're going to... We're, we're specifically going to focus this morning on our individual re, um, requirement, our individual call, uh, our individual purpose as followers of Christ. Uh, next week, Pastor John will share with you, you know, what is the purpose of the church? And, he'll, and so he'll talk a lot more about missions together as a group. Um, and, uh, and as I mentioned already, we're going to be given an awesome opportunity at the end of the month uh, to gather together. We're praying and pray with us. Uh, that one of our uh, West African translators might be able to come, pray that he might get his visa. And uh, when we're going to celebrate and pray and ask God to, to, to keep giving us direction on what he wants us to do in West Africa. Uh, now, of course, I have the privilege this morning of sharing God's word. Pastor John will share next week. And then we have two special speakers after him. Uh, you probably saw in the hallway uh, this morning, Richard Koss. Those of you who know him, he'll be coming in a couple of weeks 
Uh, and then we have a special speaker from Ogletown Baptist coming and, and sharing at the end of the month. Um, and we also, and it just kind of worked this way, we, we have the opportunity to, to hear during our combined Sunday school from uh, missionaries of ours with the International Mission Board, the Armacosts, and they shared about what God has been doing in and through them uh, overseas, and that, that was a, a great, great blessing to us. So as we kick things off this morning, we're, we're going to try to answer this question. It's on the screen behind me. You know, what is God's purpose for the people that he has made? Now, this is a very broad question, and it is not one that I'm going to try to attempt to answer in its entirety in just one, one, uh, one morning with you because, well, that would be trying to bite off more than I can chew. But we will uncover two of the most, I think, primary uh, purposes for which we were made by God, and, and, and the first is this, that we were made to worship God. We were made to worship God. Now, I'd expect that some of you have heard uh, the Westminster Catechism. Anybody know what that is and be able to blurt that out loud? What is the chief end, the end of man? Anybody? To glorify God? And to enjoy Him forever. And so they got that from the Scripture. I did a little bit of research this week. And, uh, and they had tons of different Scripture to prove that, that the ultimate purpose of mankind, according to the Bible, according to this book that we follow, the chief purpose is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And so out of that, you know, I, I determined that we were, we were made, and two of the Scriptures we're going to look at here shortly, uh, were in that Westminster Catechism. We were made to worship God. We were made to glorify God. If you go page by page by page in the Bible and you were to sum up why we are here on earth, that is, that is in, in many ways the broadest answer is we are made to worship God. We are made to glorify Him. We are created in His image that we might worship, adore and enjoy Him. And what an amazing God we have. Psalm 86, 9 uh, gives us a, a peek into the future because this is what David says. He says, All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and they shall glorify your name. Now, I, I think, you know, according to what I was reading this, this week, and, and it makes sense, this hasn't yet taken place. All nations will be coming before the Lord and they'll be worshiping Him when His kingdom is fully established. Now, now we have missionaries here and we as a church have missions to go and to all the nations to proclaim the good news that this truth might come true. But this is still yet in the future. And yet, even though it's in the future, this is what God has called for us to do here and now. Now, when God made us, did He need us? No. God is a self-sustaining being. He's the supreme being of all. But he, he created us that we would give Him glory, and He created us that we might enjoy Him. Now, from a human perspective, that may sound kind of selfish. He created us so that he, you know, he could be glorified and so that we could enjoy Him. Well, yeah. Well, in some ways... It is selfish because God, God's everything. He, he, is, 
He, he is beyond what we can understand. He is the supreme, eternal, infinite creator of the universe. Is he not worthy of our glory? Is he not worthy of our worship? Is he not worthy of us finding our joy in him first and foremost? And the answer to that question is, yes, he is. He is worthy of all those things. Now, Worshiping and glorifying God is more than singing songs. Now, <laughs> singing is great. And, and honestly, I look forward to every Sunday morning when we're led by our praise team to, to sing, to sing praises to God. And singing is it's an essential part of, 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 of what worship really is. But if we believe that worship is only opening our hymnals or singing with the praise team, then we're, then we're missing the, the bigger picture. You know, when we take time to sing and, and, to, and to praise God uh, and, and through song, we are just we are ascribing glory to Him. But we are called to do that in every aspect of our lives. And I don't know about you, but I don't live in a musical I, I'm not singing all the day long. I mean, it could be entertaining, right? If, if, if instead of just walking through life and having, you know, kind of those mundane conversations, now some of us, you, know, you might not want to hear sing, uh, but, but, you know, if our lives were musicals, you know, that's, not what, that's not what this is about. No, it, it, it's about living our lives as a sacrifice of praise. It, it, it's about doing everything. As Paul said, whether we eat or whether we drink, we do it all to the glory of God. Or as I, as I had the little kids, and aren't they precious? I love kids. I love my own kids, and I, I love the kids of the church. And, and just hearing their answers to questions, and what are some things you, you enjoy to do? And you know, a lot of them revolved around playing, around play, about doing sports. And what are some things you don't enjoy doing? Well, you know, the tedious things of, of life. You know, like chores. Oh man, I have to make my bed. Well, we adults, we have those things too. You know, Monday morning rolls around. Of course, most of us probably get the day off tomorrow, but some of you may have to go to work. But your traditional Monday morning rolls around. You're like, oh, I don't want that alarm to go off. You know, it's just hard. It's hard. Or, you know, oh man, I don't want to pay my taxes. Come on. Man, this is not fun. Or, you know, some of you, I enjoy mowing my lawn to a certain degree, but in the dead of summer, man, there's nothing I dislike more than sweating buckets while I'm riding on my tractor. Thank, I'm thankful I have a little lawnmower that, that I can ride on. But man, I don't like that. You know, it's work. But Paul says, whether you eat, whether you drink, whether you work, whether you pay your taxes, whether you're mowing the lawn, whether you're doing the dishes, doing the laundry, disciplining your kid, dealing with a cranky boss, Do it all to the glory of God. Now think about the implications of that truth. And reflect on the way that you live your life. Do you do everything to the glory of God? I can, I can stand here and tell you for sure, I don't. 
I want to, but I don't. There are times, you know, raising little kids is a great blessing, and I love them to death. And there are times that raising little kids is nothing more than just a frustration. And, you know, many of you are smiling because you either had little kids, you have little kids, you have grandkids, or you were a kid and you knew that you put your parents through their paces, right? And so there's t- there are times, and, and I try, and I ask God every day, Lord, help me to glorify you in the way I relate to my kids. But man, there's times where I don't, and I fail. And it's because I'm getting aggravated that whatever it is I want is not happening. I'm not concerned with God's glory. I'm concerned with my comfort. I'm concerned with my pleasure. I'm concerned with, with, with me. And that's where I have to confess and say, God, oh, forgive me. Forgive me. Now, I'll be honest. There's times, you know, even, even in ministry, you think, hey, you know, you're doing ministry. You're doing it for the glory of God. And, and, and there are days where I have to take a step back and say, God, I didn't do this for your glory. I did it for mine. Forgive me. Forgive me. Everything that we do should be designed as an act of worship. Whatever it is, the highly significant things that we choose to do and even the smallest ways that we choose to entertain ourselves should be done for the glory of God. When I say that, my my heart crumbles because I realize how far away I am from that. And I'm thankful that the grace of God is sufficient to forgive me of those sins and to empower me to grow that I might be better at that in the future. So whether you're working, whether you're resting, whether you're driving, whether you're shopping, do it all for the glory of God. And that means that you're going to be faithful and you're going to be obedient to Him in those times. And you're going to enjoy Him and say, God, you know, if you're enjoying what you're doing, thank you for this blessing. And if you're not enjoying what you're doing, God, teach me some lesson from this. Give me perseverance. Give me endurance. Give me something that, that connects me closer to you that I might be able to learn from what I'm doing. Now, why, why do we worship God? Why, why is our life supposed to be all about that? Well, Isaiah says this in Isaiah 46, 9. He says, remember the days of old or the former things of old? For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. There is but one God. Now, our culture, our world will try to teach you all kinds of different things. They'll try to say, we're all gods. And we're going to learn what it looks like to transcend our existence. And the only non-acceptable form of, of worship these days seems to be Christianity in our culture. But we're reminded here in Isaiah 46 and in countless other places in the Word of God that He is the only God. There is none like him. Now throughout this chapter, Isaiah is 
is, is taking Israel through some of their old days, what, what they used to do. And, and so they'd been ex- exiled to Babylon. And what would happen when they were in exile to Babylon? What did they do? Did they stay true to the one living God? I wish. <laughs> I wish. Right? No, they, 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 fell, they fell in temptation and, and started worshiping statues, idols. In fact, in, in, uh, in verse 7, which isn't on the screen behind me, let me get into the book of Isaiah here if I can find it. Yes, here it is. Isaiah 46, verse 7. Isaiah is talking about the people and what they're doing with the idols. It says, they lift it to their shoulders, they carry it, and they set it in its place, and it stands there. It cannot move from its place. If one cries to it, it doesn't answer or save him from his trouble. And so what's he saying? He's saying, you know, it's just as silly as saying, you know what? This monitor is going to be my idol. And I'm going to pray to it when I'm doing bad, when I'm not doing well. And I'm going to hope that it's going to answer my prayers. Now, the only good thing that this monitor can do is, is play sound, right? It, it, you, you hear whatever's being played or sung uh, on, the, on the microphones. Now, we think, you know, that's, that's stupid, right? Why would you ever worship something that is man-made? It doesn't answer. It doesn't save us from our trouble. But I think we would do well to take a step back and, and to really listen to what Isaiah is saying here. Although we don't bow down to man-made statues, our hearts often do chase after idols, don't they? And we chase after those things instead of chasing after God. And ultimately, these idols, they don't give us everything that we're looking for. Now, I did a sermon series, probably been two, three, maybe even four years ago, uh, on the idols of the heart. And, and what we discovered in that series was that, that, that idols basically can be put into three different categories. Pleasure, power, and love. Neither pleasure, nor power, nor love are inherently evil, are they? There's nothing wrong with enjoying things. In fact, the book of James says that every good gift is from what? It's from above. You know, God's given us things to enjoy. You know, far be it that we should feel guilty for enjoying things that God has given us. But if that's what we're living for, then we need to have cause for concern. Just look around the world, and you're going to see people who are pursuing pleasure, power, and love in unhealthy and unbiblical ways. But we shouldn't just look at the world, right? I mean, I could give you a slew of examples of how the world is pursuing these things, but we don't, just, we don't need to do that necessarily. We need to take a look in the mirror and say, what am I doing? How am I pursuing these things outside of God's design? If what's written in Isaiah 46 verse 9 is true, and it is, that there is only one God and that there is none like Him, then why do we so easily exchange what we were designed to find in God 
with lesser things in our pursuit of pleasure, power, and love. Now, the simplest answer to this is that we're all sinners. We're all sinners. We were born that way. We were born with a sinful predisposition. And so we naturally seek to find significance outside of God's design. You know, when somebody creates something, they have a specific design, a specific purpose for it. And God's specific design for us was that we would glorify Him, that we would worship Him, and that we would enjoy Him forever. Now, when sin entered into into the world as a result of Adam and Eve's poor choice of disobeying God, everything became broken. And the way that we were designed still remained, but our capacity to follow it, to obey it, became impossible on our own. Because God is perfect. He is holy. When Isaiah says, or he's quoting God here, he's saying, I am God and there is none other, there is none like me. It's because God is perfect in every possible way. And one of those perfect ways is that he is holy. He is righteous. He is completely set apart from sin. There's nothing sinful about God. There's not even the speck of sin in him. And so to to make our relationship right with him is impossible for people who have sin in their lives. Except, except if there's someone who comes as a perfect substitute for us. And in the Old Testament, we saw the, the picture of what was to take place. They would sacrifice lambs and bulls, and, and they, would, they, would, they would be a picture because they couldn't, it's not life for life, it's an animal. An animal can't replace a human life. But when Jesus, the perfect Lamb of God, came, He came so that He might die for our sins, and He rose on the third day that we might have eternal life. Now, for most of you, you're like, yeah, that's what I believe. That's what I believe. I hope it is. Because that is the only way to turn back to this initial design that God has for us. Apart from Christ, apart from His grace, apart from abiding in Him, There is no possible way that we will worship God. There's no possible way that we will do everything for His glory apart from Christ. And so as you place your faith in Christ, you'll start asking God to help you to find your pleasure, your power, and your love in Him. Those are not bad desires but you'll start evaluating those things in which you find pleasure and you'll ask yourself and you'll ask God, are those things glorifying to Him? Now it's hard. It's hard living in a culture that's all about things that are wrong. I mean, we live in an evil day. And evil is more and more at our fingertips because we hear all kinds of varying perspectives from different people because we're constantly connected through our technology. Now, I love technology. I'm, I'm kind of like, I'm, I'm like a tech nerd. I don't, I don't know enough to do really cool things with computers, but I love, I love what you can do with them. And I love, like, for example, and this is really not a very nerdy thing, but I love that I can connect with my parents 
when I grew up overseas, my, my parents are missionaries in France. When I grew up overseas, the only way I could talk to my grandparents was, was on the phone, which was pretty cool because my mom, who grew up overseas, they had to write letters. You remember those letters? Yeah. Anybody remember how to write? Right? You know, we're all typing stuff. You know, it would take like six to eight weeks to go across the ocean. Uh, but here in the last decade, you know, my, you know, I've been living away from my parents for close to 20 years now. In the first decade, you know, it was phone calls or email or you know, instant message, which was pretty cool back then. Some of you are like, what is instant message? You know, you younger guys, it's okay. Um, yeah. But now we, we have things like, like Skype. Or, or Google Chat, or you know, whatever, you know, FaceTime, whatever it is that you use. So thankful for that. So you know, I don't want to sound like you know, technology is evil. We should purge our homes of all televisions and computers. Well, no, you know, that's not what I'm saying. But we do have a whole lot more access to evil things in the quiet of our homes. And there's a lot more anonymity these days. We need to be careful because ultimately we were designed to glorify God, to find pleasure in Him. As John Piper says, you were designed to be Christian hedonists, which means that hey, we're supposed to be all about pleasure, but pleasure in Him. The Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 4 said, Rejoice in the Lord sometimes. No. Rejoice in the Lord always. Not on Sunday mornings. Yes, on Sunday mornings, but not just on Sunday mornings. Not just when you open your Bible in the morning for devotions or when you're on a mission trip. Rejoice in the Lord always. So when we're finding our pleasure in Him, we're glorifying Him. And even if we're not like directly... like This doesn't mean that the only way that you can enjoy God is you know, I'm sitting down and I'm meditating on God's Word. Let's do that, please. But man, I can enjoy God when I'm enjoying the laughter of my kids. Okay? This morning, you know, I'm trying to get ready. I'm making pancakes, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, you know, uh, my, my youngest son, he just turned one. He, so he's sitting in his high chair. Uh, little Seth, he's like the sweetest kid ever. Um, and Ellie, you know, who's my three, almost four-year-old, uh, she, she comes up to him and, and she just has a special way with him. And he had, you know, little kicks, you know, little cereal on his high chair. And she was like putting her finger on it, on the kicks, and like making it spin. And many of them shot off on the floor. She had to clean them up. But anyway, but you should have heard the belly laugh. Is there anything better than a baby belly laugh? Oh man, I don't think so. And I enjoyed God there. I said, God, yeah, this is your blessing. Thank you. You know, and I just, I could have just laughed, and it would have been fine. Oh my God, you know, we're designed, we're made to worship you, we're, we're made to enjoy you. And this is, this is just your blessing here. And for those of you who don't know our story, Lauren, I didn't know if we'd ever have kids. And now we have three. And that's not everybody's story who goes through that kind of stuff. But man, I'm so thankful. And it's all because of God. We're designed to find our pleasure in Him. You know, so many people, they chase after pleasure and it's self-focused, and it's ultimately destructive. Now, the pain that we endure in this life, and some of you, I look at your faces, and I know. I don't know exactly what it's like to be in your shoes, but I know you're going through it, because you've shared. And some of the things you don't share, but I can still see it in your eyes. 
even if I can't see in your eyes, I just know it's the general human predicament. There's pain in this life. And so through pain, we're looking for some outlet, some, some answer, something good on the other end, and a lot of times we're looking in the wrong places. Trip over a wire there. We chase after the false promises of, of sex, substances, and entertainment. But God didn't create us that we would find joy in things outside of Him. He created us that we might find joy in Him. When we behold the One who created us, the One who saved us from our sins, and we seek Him, our joy doesn't end. It doesn't. It doesn't mean we're always happy. It means that we have this deep-seated hope in our hearts, knowing that even in the roughest of times that God is still in control and He still loves us. And even if in this world we never see another happy day, we have a future awaiting us in heaven. When Paul told the Philippians to rejoice in the Lord always, he wasn't writing from some resort on the Mediterranean Sea. He was writing from prison. He's saying, you know, joy, joy in the Lord goes beyond your circumstances and it has to come from a knowledge of who God is and it has to come through an empowering of the Spirit saying, you know what? Your joy goes beyond what you're experiencing. And when we're enjoying things the way that God has designed, we glorify Him, we worship Him. It's as simple as that. It really isn't that simple, is it? We often get in our way, in our own way. As we place our faith in Christ, our, our, our search for power will change. Instead of seeking to find success, instead of seeking to find monetary security, we're going to seek to find power in Him because His power is much greater. Now, it's not to say if you have financial security that you shouldn't have. Shouldn't be thankful for it. Be thankful for it. But don't make that your significance. It could be gone tomorrow. But the power of God is much greater. It is is beyond the scope of our understanding. If we seek to find significance in our earthly power, whether success, money, or achievements, we're chasing after fool's gold. Because there's always somebody out there who's got more who's got more, uh, more money, more power, more position, more achievements. And really those things only last temporarily, right? God has the power to transform us from the inside out that we might do uh, what Brother Ben shared this morning in, in Sunday school, that we might go out and, and make disciples. That we might make disciples not just that that trust in Christ, but that then go and make more disciples who make more disciples. The only way that happens is through the power of Christ. No scheme of man will ever be able to do anything for that. As you place your faith in Christ, you're also going to learn that finding love here on earth, it's just not fully satisfying. You know, I mentioned those three categories, pleasure, power, love. We're all chasing after those things. Our world is love-crazed. 
that they're looking in all the wrong places. And even in, 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 in places where God is designed, and I think marriage is a great place where you can experience love, but it's also a place where you can experience great disappointment. It's a place where you can become disillusioned about the, the possibility that love even exists. Why is that? Because you're coupled with another sinner. <laughs> and as much as I love my wife, and, and uh, our anniversary's down the road, it's in February, it'll be 13 years. I thank God for her. But if the significance of my love, if, if everything I'm looking for in love was supposed to be found in her, I'd be disappointed. Not because she's not a great woman, but because she can't give that to me. And she would be all the more disappointed. Because I can't give her everything she's looking for. Only God can do that. Only God can give us a love that has no end. And we'll talk about that at the very end this morning. So we were made, we were made to glorify God, and we glorify God when we pursue everything for Him. And so that means that we need to confess those areas where we have idols. We seek to find our pleasure, our power, our love in God. Not only has he made us to glorify him, he has remade us to follow Christ's example. And this, this point is going to be shorter because it's going to kind of hopefully be a good segue into what Pastor John shares next week. Hopefully it'll be shorter for you. <laughs> but you know, I mentioned that, that sin keeps us from glorifying God. And the only way to become people who glorify God is by, by being saved from our sins by the power that, that, that Christ has because he died and he rose again as a substitute for us. Well, when we trust in that, we, we, are, we, we are born again, not physically, but spiritually. And so my first point was, we are all made to glorify God. Not, not everybody's going to do that. But when you trust in Christ, you were remade. And there's this process called sanctification. Once you trust in Christ, you start this process of sanctification, which means that, that ultimately you're on a journey. Because, I don't know about you, but when I trusted Christ, my sin didn't all go away. My parents, my wife, my kids, they'll all attest to it, and some of you probably would too. Right? My sin didn't all go away. The penalty for my sin went away. The power that sin has over me went away, and yet sometimes I still return to it. Sometimes I still go back to it because I, I, I'm nearsighted. I, I, sometimes I just see what this world has to offer instead of what God wants me to do. But we were remade to follow the example that Christ gave us when he lived here on earth. And Andy read all these verses that we're going to look at. Mark 10.45. Now, context. Anybody remember who was talking at the beginning of this, you know, this little teaching opportunity that Jesus had? Which disciples were talking to one another about some position that they wanted to have in heaven? Who wanted to sit at the right and left hand of Jesus? James and John, right? All right, so, so you know, James, John, Peter, they're the three. They're the ones that were super close to Jesus. The other, tw- you know, the, the other nine, they were close as well. But he had these select guys that, that were, they just had that special connection. So these guys, you would think, would really get it. But here they are, they're, they're kind of bantering back and forth, and, and they go up to Jesus and they say, hey, you know, we'd like to make this special request. Can we sit at your right and left hand in your kingdom? 
Well, and then Jesus goes on. He says, he says this. Well, let me give you a little bit more than just this one verse. Mark 10. Just back up just a couple of verses. Verse 42. And Jesus called to them and said, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and the, their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave to all. This is where we pick up. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is our example. Jesus basically told James and John, your request, it's illegitimate. This isn't what I want for you. I'm not making you disciples so that you can have this position of authority or power. I'm making making disciples of you so that you can follow my example. And let me tell you exactly what it is I'm doing so that you can know what it looks like to live this way. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Here he is, God in the flesh, right? Jesus is God in the flesh. And he could have used his authority and his power to force people to submit to him and to obey him. He could. I mean, he's God. He has all the power in the world. But he didn't come for that. He came to demonstrate his great love, his great mercy, and his great grace to people who had rebelled against him and rejected him And you read in these four Gospels examples of how Jesus dealt with the people around him. Now, of course, he's God, and so he has all these powers to, to heal people, right? And so whether it's a, 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 or, or to do all kinds of neat things, you know, whether it's a, a newly married couple running out of wine at, at, their, at their reception, you know, what did Jesus do? He made more wine. And you know, if you remember, you know, guys like, why did you save the best for last? Right? Why did you save the best for last? You know, Jesus made the best. You know, whether it's a sick person or a blind person that's brought to Jesus, how is Jesus moved? What is the one word that is often used? He was moved to what? Compassion. He was moved to compassion. He was moved not just, oh, you know, you know I'm really sorry you ran out of wine. That stinks. Now, Jesus, you know, of course, he's, he's God in the flesh, so he has the ability to, to meet that need. But isn't it interesting? Although he's God, and although he certainly is worthy of glory, because he is the only God and there's none like him, the life that Christ lived on earth was one of service. And his life is the one that we should live our lives after. We should be seeking to live after Christ's example and service. We were created to glorify God. And we were remade in Christ, born again by the power of his death and resurrection, 
to follow his example in serving others. Whom do you serve? Well, first, the answer would be you serve God. But practically speaking, here on earth, whom do you serve? Are there people in your life that you serve regularly? Are there people in this life that you serve that have nothing to give back? Because think about the people that Jesus helped. How many of them could really give back? Not that many, if any. He was doing it to demonstrate his love. With what kind of attitude do you serve? Caller ID, nominating committees calling, ooh, right? (laughs) Joke, okay, joke. That was the way you responded. That's between you and God. But with what kind of attitude do we serve? Well, and sometimes we do need to say no. Because if, if we only ever say yes, we're going to burn ourselves out. We're going to have like the savior complex. Well, you know, I'm Jesus in the flesh and I can do it all. Well, no, we can't. Pick a few things that you can serve in and, and do them well. And do them well. But with what kind of attitude do you serve? Do you do so begrudgingly because it's your duty? And yes, really, it, it, you know, we're called to serve. But do you do it because you have to and, because you're, you know, and you're dragging your feet? Or do you do it because, man, what about the Savior who saved my life? I just want to live for Him. I want to do everything for Him. Think about people in your lives. It, it doesn't... You know, service isn't just like in, in positions of the church. I think sometimes we do our dis- ourselves a disservice by thinking that way. But serving others goes much further beyond that. Who are people in your life? Maybe neighbors, coworkers, classmates, family members, others. Think about the, the people that you interact with. How are you serving them? What are you doing with your life and in your relationship that demonstrates the character of Christ? Do they even know? And if they know, do they look at you as a complete hypocrite because you say one thing and live differently? Or do they see a true change, a true difference in who you are? Think about the people beyond your reach. Now, Pastor John, he'll talk about missions and the church as a whole, and we... I think we have lots of great opportunities. And it's not that you know, everybody can't go. And so I, you know, I don't ever want to make somebody feel so guilty because they don't go. But you can still participate. You can participate through prayer. Man, we need prayer. Whether it's West Africa, whether it's Mexico, which we're going next summer, whether it's here in Perryville, we desperately need prayer. Things only happen because of prayer. Think about people beyond your reach. I know for me, my heart, Laura's heart, just been stirred. Have you been watching the news? Have you been seeing those thousands of Syrians fleeing their homes? Did you see the picture of that lifeless two-year-old boy? carried by some government official soldier, I think in Greece or Turkey. 
Are you moved with compassion? Is your heart broken? What are we going to do about that? And the biggest part of me just, I just want to go. <laughs> and I'm like, what would I do? <laughs> right? I just want to go. I want to be the hands and feet of Christ and say, I'm sorry. Have you seen what the country of Hungary has done to these people? They don't want them in their country, but they wouldn't let them take a train up to Austria. Now, eventually they did. Now, here are people trying to escape one of the worst war zones because of ISIS. They show no discrepancy. They kill thousands of people. These people are fleeing for their lives. And they're being met with, we don't want you here. You look at those kids, their faces, and the pictures. And I looked up yesterday. Adopt a Syrian child. Unfortunately, Syria is not an open adoption country. I would do it. I want to do it. But for now, even though I can't go, because I, well, I don't know what I would do. Not that I'm not looking. But for now, there are things that we can do. We can serve them on our knees. We can pray that God would give them people to connect with. And many of those people, they're probably going to be coming across your, your, your city in London, right? They're trying to get out of France into London. There's a whole hoopla about that. We need to be praying for people like the Armacost missionaries, the churches. Where's the church? And I'm sure there's people doing stuff. You just see the bad stuff in news. But where's the church in all this? It shouldn't be the government agencies dealing with this. It should be the church. We should be caring for these people. We should be doing so on our knees. And if you want to give, there's an opportunity. The IMB on, on their website, they have, uh, they have a video. We, we had two videos shown this morning, so I decided a third would probably be overkill. But I'll post it on our Facebook and I'll send a, an email link. But it's this perspective from a missionary kid somewhere in the Middle East and her face, you can see her mouth, but nothing else because they're hiding her identity. But she takes you through her day about, you know, she's just an ordinary kid going to an international school. And she starts talking about these kids. And they show you this video of, of a refugee camp. And it's, it's tent after tent after tent after tent. And you know, so your eyes can't see any further of people who've been displaced living in super hot temperatures during the summer and frigid temperatures during the winter, intense. And then there's those who are migrating across of Europe. The IMB is doing stuff. And there's opportunities for us to give. Now I'll send the, the link. For $365, you can, you, can, um, you can pay for food for one month for a child. For $214, you can, you can clothe a kid for a year. For $176, you can educate a child for a year. For $33, you can give them medical aid for the year. And the list goes on and on and on. And there's all kinds of different, you know, so, so maybe you're like, you know, I don't really have that much to give. Hey, if you have $5 to give, and that's what you can give, then give. Do it. Uh, and there's, you know, uh, counseling services, supplies, mats, all that kind of stuff. 
how we can serve. Just one way. I mean, uh, do we not live in a culture of excess? And, and many of you are so generous, and I've been on the receiving end of that generosity countless times. Let's be generous for those who can't do things on their own. And as we do, as we serve others, you know, we're going to seek to live out the mission of God. And this is going to be very brief because this is what Pastor John's going to focus on, I believe, next week. But the reason that Jesus came was to seek and save the lost. You, know, you could throw John chapter 17 or John chapter 20 where Jesus says, you know, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. You are God's missionaries. Yes, we have full-time vocational missionaries that go to different countries, but you have been called as God's missionary here where you are right now. How are you seeking the lost? You can't save them. You can plant the seed, though, as we discussed this morning. What are you doing to plant those seeds? Don't do it on your own. You can't do it apart from the power of God. Why do we do this? We do it because God loved the world. He loved the world so much that he sent his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. You've all heard this verse before. But this is our motivation. Why do we glorify God? Because he loved us first. Why do we follow his example? Because he loved us first. My prayer for you, for me, for us as a church, for the for the for the global church is that we would start to really look at what God put us here for. Not just to hear it and to be convicted on a Sunday morning, but to put that into action. And I've seen it here. But there's a lot of room for growth, isn't there? So let's ask God. Let's ask God to change us. To help us to grow. To do everything for His glory and to follow his example. Let's pray. Father, you deserve glory, you deserve honor, you deserve everything. We so often don't give it. Forgive us. Help us, Father, empower us by your grace because we cannot glorify you on our own, out of our own volition, because on our own, we just want to glorify ourselves. Help us, Father, to follow your example in serving others and in living out on mission because that is what you have us to do. But again, empowered by your Spirit, we might not be doing these things on our own, but instead that we would be led and strengthened by you to follow the call that you have on our life. And so, Father, we commit ourselves to you. We would ask these things in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Amen.